Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Colson, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, we've, we have a surprising amount of TV, but everything is ending. Yes, everything's ending. Next week, we're going to be like scraping the, scraping the cupboard, yeah. um, as it were. So I guess look for us to discuss Everwood. Mm-hmm. I'm not actually committing to that, Vince. We're I not, apologize. Yeah, we're not committing to um, that necessarily. <laughs> but we, we're going to have to figure something out very soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because every week I've been like, oh, pretty soon we're going to run out of shows. But then we don't because there's lots of shows. And then like in the next two weeks, guys, it's yeah. That's when that's going to happen. Um, we did hear from from Vince, though, this week about uh, our viewing, because, of course, on Streaming in Place this week, we finished our Lucifer Season 3 binge and did our wrap-up, and then um, switched over to talking about Avatar The Last Airbender. So um, so we heard from Vince, who said he checked in um, with the Season 3 wrap-up that we did, because, of course, as listeners may remember, Vince was having a difficult relationship with Lucifer, where he really liked the beginning of the show, and then started to have some troubles in Season 2 with how, like, the direction things were going, and then was powering through a painful binge of Season 3 before, and he wasn't sure if he should break up with the show. So, uh, he, so he, uh, he said, I was glad to realize I was, it wasn't only me who had big problems with the pacing and, and the Pierce and Decker chemistry, uh, fitting that you take a break from the show just episodes before I stopped my binge. You're way smarter than me. <laughs> um, and he checked back his old thread and he watched the whole of season one through three in six days. <laughs> so yeah, that's that, a lot. yeah, that's a lot. And then he took a break for 11 days. Uh, to watch Sex Education season two and Titan season two, and then he went back to Lucifer, and and before he gave giving up, um, so he says so maybe eleven days wasn't a long enough of a break, <laughs> and he says he had a similar situation with Battlestar, um, which he watched all in one week in twenty ten, and where he said I couldn't I could not stand certain elements of the show <laughs> anymore, and I just wanted to see the end already, but seriously, just space that narcissistic jerk already. First of all. You're not wrong, but also Gaius is an amazing character. But you're also you're not wrong. So yeah, both yeah. of both of those things can be correct. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, can you imagine watching season one through three in a week of Lucifer? That is. Yeah, no, that's just that's too much. Counterpoint: Is it better than watching one episode of season three every day and talking about it? Oh like no, it's, it's definitely it's better still... to do that way than <laughs> how did. we did it. But but yeah. And and yeah. We will eventually get to season four. But right now we're doing Avatar The Last Airbender things, and it's very nice. So so if you are interested in Avatar, come come join us as we watch along with that. Uh there's a bunch of news. Uh before yes. I forget, we are talking at the end of the show about Hentified season one, which is on season which is on uh Netflix and has been renewed for season two. Yes. So that's going to be coming at the end of the show. That was a super fun conversation. But let's talk about some of this news, because obviously there's a lot going on right now in America with protesting, with coronavirus. Um, protesting, wait, obviously. There, what's this coronavirus I, thing? Oh, my gosh. What's this? Wh- wait, what is this? There's a reason we are still doing streaming in place. And you know what it is? Because we're all supposed to be in our homes still. 
that hasn't gone away, that hasn't changed. So when I see people being like, oh, I'm so glad to be back to normal, it's like, nothing has changed. We do not have, like, the only thing that's changed is that we now, it seems to be very clear that masks are hugely, hugely, hugely important. And, and hopefully people are all adhering to the mask rules. Um, that's new compared to, like, on the scope of this several months long thing. But nothing else has changed. So people, what do you, yes, the rates are going back up because it's two weeks after Memorial Day, which is when a bunch of places opened up and a bunch of people decided that, forget it, I'm going to the beach anyway with all of my friends. <sighs> Anyways, yeah. um, but there are still, have still been massive protests every single day across this country in support of Black Lives Matter and against uh, police brutality. And that has had ripples throughout I mean, a bunch of industries, which I am very, very much appreciating. It's, it's affected several shows. Cops, which was apparently still running, has been canceled. Yes. Um, yes. Along with uh, Live PD, which a horrific story came out about that, where there is footage of a man being killed. A black man being killed by police officers on that show that they just had. They just, I, I don't even, yeah, I can't even imagine. So, yeah, that show's canceled, too. And that's that's good. That's a good thing. Um, there are several other shows that have had uh, some of their, like, especially there, I saw a bunch of reality shows. But there are several shows that have had their casts be shook, uh, shook up based on um, people coming forward about, uh, about, sexism but really specifically about sexism towards uh black actors and other actors of color um and also just general racism you know for all over the place on a bunch of a bunch of different shows um the the bachelor is finally after i believe it's 40 seasons it's 12 years 24 seasons of the bachelor Uh uh-huh and 15 seasons of the bachelorette um, in which they've had a black woman, Lindsay, um, Rachel Lindsay, was the first uh, black woman to be a bachelorette. But after 24 seasons yeah. of The Bachelor. It, but for me, they all are like the same thing. So there's The Bachelor, yeah. there's The Bachelorette, there's been some like Love in Paradise kind of like spinoffs with previous Bachelor yes. people. So that's how I get to 40. But they've had one black bachelorette who was yes. the, like the lead of her season. And now they're going to finally have their first black bachelor who was originally cast as a bachelorette uh, uh, for one of the bachelorettes recently. But then when coronavirus stopped filming, um, they reconsidered and decided to make him the first black bachelor, um, which is gross. Um, not the fact that he's been cast in that. If he wants to be the bachelor, that's great. It's gross that we are this many seasons in and it takes this level of national protest of, and discussion about blatant systemic racism for ABC to be like, you know what? I think it would look bad if we don't have a black bachelor. And also let's cash in on this with our first black bachelor. It's so gross. It is. And I, I, I it's fun watching the ABC and the studio sort of bend over backwards to be like, the 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 protests and everything don't have anything to do with this decision. We made this decision before any of this happened. Um, we just hadn't announced it yet mm-hmm. um, because they were under pressure from Rachel Lindsay, basically, that she was going to sever ties with um, the franchise if they didn't cast a Black Bachelor um, next. And so that was maybe being like a larger portion of it. Um, but they've maintained that like the fellow that they cast um matt matt james um has been 
within the franchise before. He was a friend of one of the previous Bachelors. And like you said, he was going to be a contestant on The Bachelorette for the incoming season. But then when they sat down, they started thinking about him beforehand. So basically, and I'm quoting the um, ABC exec here from a interview with Variety. Matt was somebody who was on our radar and we were thinking about him. We were thinking to... We were thinking, do we announce him early or do we put him on Claire's season and then announce him later, which sidebar is something that happens really commonly mm-hmm. in the Bachelor franchise if it doesn't work out with Claire. We didn't make a final decision until recently, but this has been talked out talked about for quite some time. So we're definitely not doing it because of this stuff, but we're announcing it because of this stuff. Yeah. It's sort of the implication of the ABC's um, stuff. Um, but they maintain that this has nothing to do with Rachel Lindsay's discussions um, and all of this stuff. So it was basically just like they're very much trying to sort of s- split that split that hair of we made this decision beforehand. We were just deciding when to announce it. And then we just went, eh, we're just going to announce it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's and again, do not get me wrong. Beyond overdue should have happened. Years and years, well, should have happened a decade ago. Yeah. Um, but yay, it's happening now. <laughs> Let's channel RuPaul, don't fuck it up. Um, even though you already have by waiting this long. Also, uh, people being fired in the opposite direction, right? We've talked about casting, let's talk about firing. Uh, over on The Flash, Hartley Sawyer, who plays uh, Elongated Man, has been fired uh, when a bunch of his racist and sexist tweets from the past resurfaced. Um, I don't know what prompted that. Besides, yes. every, obviously, everything going around, everything that's happening right now, and increased scrutiny on people's language. Uh, but this is be- from before he was cast on the show. Yes. That's when, when these tweets were from. Um, but uh, first of all, should never have said them. And it's not funny to talk to joke about if you had a girlfriend, you'd beat her up. Um, that's not funny. Uh, and also... When you get cast on a show, how do you not scrub your timeline? Like, how? <laughs> like, how? I would, and I don't remember saying anything horrible, but you, you just, it's like, how? Anyways, if you are, if you are racist and sexist, even more motivation, you would think. Um, so anyways, I have no problem with him being fired for these comments and for the damage it would do to the brand. Um, and yeah, don't be terrible sort of how i feel about it how do you feel about it yeah i'm that's basically the same boat like it's especially given like the show being really inclusive being like very family friendly um Mm -hmm. on an environmental on an like environment level um the rumors about daniel panabaker yeah it's a whole other issue um in terms of what how that works um yeah no it's fine with me um i think it's probably for the best um it's not probably for the best it is for the best and i think that that's fine but yeah um and even like so far as like um i think it was a reporter for hollywood reporter or for variety um they lived in the same building as sawyer for a little while and sawyer was apparently an asshole Mm -hmm. um regarding various things around the building um so it's just like okay Great, yeah. let's do it. Type of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um yeah, don't be an don't be an asshole in your life. 
in general. Like, I, I mean, I can't imagine working on a set because they have such incredibly long hours. Yes. And they have such, like, there's so much money at stake. So there's, there can be a lot of pressure uh, involved in just, like, something small. If you mess up something small, then they have to spend $100,000 to reshoot a thing. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much at stake um, financially that it's a high, it can be a high-pressure situation. That spending that much time every day with anyone is bad. It can be can be challenging. Spending that much time every day with people who are assholes, <laughs> it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Um, so this is why some of the choices made in casting. We'll get to Batwoman later. Um, make you know, I from a just a people's um, mental health and well being. Working in these situations, I am. A-okay with people firing assholes. Um, over uh, in behind the scenes, or I guess tangential to all of this news, uh, Asia Kate Dillon uh, wants the SAG Awards to drop gender-specific uh, categories and awards and just have best actor rather than best actress or best uh, best male or female or woman and, and man uh, uh, the categories for their awards. Asia uh, Kate Dillon is non-binary and plays a non-binary character. So where are they supposed to, you know, apply? So I think this is, this is a conversation that we've been having for at least decades, like at least 10 years about like, why isn't it just best actor? And um, there's lots of different reasons, but I think that the inclusion of more and more non-binary characters and performers certainly on TV is an excellent reason to add to that conversation and i you know why not bring it be bringing it up and talking about it i think it's great yes uh asian kate dylan who i haven't seen on billions i've literally only seen them on john wick uh three yeah three mm-hmm. whichever one they're I really in. need to watch this one the one with the dogs yeah <laughs> That's um three. um and they're fantastic in it like they're the best thing about that movie honestly hand hand to the sky the best thing about that movie um so they were asked to sit on the um nominating committee for um the uh to do male actor and all the acting roles basically uh, as a judge and so their letter which was published in variety this week is you shouldn't be doing this and i'm happy to do what you're asking me to do as a member of this union Provided we get rid of this stuff um, because mm-hmm. it upholds gender binary, it's discrimination, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's a really, it's a really good letter. It's a really well-reasoned letter. Um, and um, Dylan points out and gets into like a larger discussion about how um, specifically when Showtime wanted to submit them for Emmy consideration in the supporting category, Dylan engaged in a long conversation with the Emmy board that basically was just like, where do I submit myself because you only have these two categories? And since 2017, Dylan has always submitted themselves in the actor category because that's that's where that works. Um, so I think it's really, it's a really good letter. I really like it. Um, and it's a good, like you're saying, it's a discussion that needs to be nuanced and had even now. Because we've, like you said, we've been having this back and forth about, well, why are we segregating these categories? And now, as more people begin to openly identify as non-binary um, and begin to work in the industry, you have to make space for that. And 
this is a good way to do that. And Dylan's one of the more high profile folks that can make that push. Um, so hopefully something comes of this. It's, it's a good time <laughs> for it. Um, but I'm again, that letters in variety. It's very good. If you're interested in this sort of thing, I would definitely encourage you to read it. Yeah. Um, then the next thing we have here is that LA has set some new rules around filming. I would assume this has to do with coronavirus. Uh, yes. I've not heard about this. So what is, what's going on with this? So putting aside the fact that um, Orange County and Los Angeles County are reopening too soon <laughs> from a pandemic <laughs> <Yep>. perspective. <laughs> um, th- basically, as of when we're recording this, which is Friday, um, June 12th, production can now officially start in Los Angeles County for film and television. Um, even though, as Variety notes, most of these productions will not get underway until July or August just because of the buildup that's necessary to get the ramp that. Up. Yeah. Um, but the county's rules are really stringent in terms of what can be done. So, and I'm just going to read from Variety for here for a quick second, is that it mandates the use of uh, cl- use of cloth face coverings by cast and crew. Um, only essential cast and crews crew members will be allowed on set, and actors should wash their hands before any scenes. Easy enough. Um, any prolonged physical contact, including fight scenes and sex scenes, is discouraged, air quotes, and actors are mandated to, and I quote, keep as silent as possible to avoid spreading droplets through talking. Uh, Crowd scenes are also discouraged. Actors and musicians who cannot wear face coverings during performances should keep eight feet apart. Um, any... Uh, paid staff members can serve as audience members in talk shows and sitcoms, but they still have to remain six feet apart, and the audience is limited to 25% of the available space. Um, the same group of employees have to be used as the audience throughout an entire production. Um, actors have to d- apply their own makeup, if possible. Craft service buffets are forbidden, um, and food service is required to be single-serving only. So you can't make a movie, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> you basically can't do anything. Like, I really yeah. appreciate the fact that filmmaking and everything is a very large part of the economy for Los Angeles. Like, it's vital to the county's economics. However, you can literally only shoot talk shows and sitcoms, maybe sitcoms, with this. Um, and it's just wild to me because i i'm thinking about the fact that like oh yeah no a bunch of superhero shows they have masks oh you really can't do any fight scenes because those are discouraged it's just (laughs) weird to me um and the entire thing's just it's it's very nice but it just seems like it just seems like a lot of silliness um in terms of like nothing's going to happen for this Mm -hmm. um and Another really important point that Variety um, points out is two things. One, um, below the line unions have to agree to a series of detailed protocols as well. And they're, they may, but they also may not. I don't know like the unions in and outs enough to really say whether or not they're going to do that. Um, but then here's the other thing. And this is a much bigger thing, arguably, than the unions. Productions also have to be able to obtain insurance for all of these things. And when, as a country, we're sort of being like, please come to our political rallies. 
please come to our indoor political rallies. Please come to our colleges. Please come to um, literally any other indoor event. By the way, please sign this waiver that you're not going to sue anyone in the event that you get sick. Is not a thing that should be happening. So getting insurance seems really unlikely to me. On the flip side, it could just mean a lot of exterior locations <laughs> shooting. Yeah. It's just that. It's just really weird. Um because it's gonna be an extra burden on an insurance policy um to do this for any program, let alone like a stunt heavy program. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. Um, but we like variety notes. We're not going to see anything for, at least for two months. Yeah. I mean, you could do, I, the other thing you could do is lots of, um, like if you have magic on your show, cause that yeah. means everything is distance fighting. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> like, so I'm sure there are people who come with, uh, come up with creative solutions to some of this stuff, but like, even just on a technical level, like, the actors can do their own makeup, like. RuPaul's it, not willing to do their own makeup. RuPaul won't do their, yeah. I mean, like, you understand that there's a reason that they are makeup artists, right? Yes. And it's because this isn't easy. <laughs> it's not a thing that anyone can do. Um, so just, yeah, do just do your own hair and makeup. That's fine. Um, I mean, and like. If someone can paint their face, can do their own makeup really well, doesn't mean that they know how to make the, up their face for the kind of lights that are yes. used in a TV production. Right. And, oh, in this shot, we're going to have this filter with it. So make sure that you really accentuate these tones in the, like, the, in the under layers of your makeup. Like, yeah. It's just, um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's no, great. it's, it's really, it's really bizarre and it's really wild and, I just, I don't know what to do with any of that. Um, but also, like, it's one of those things where I feel like, yes, work is important. Getting people to go into the economy is great and everything. And these people need the money. Um, but I also can't imagine, like, I think about, like, the idea of, like, Colbert going to his crew and saying, we're back in the Ed Sullivan studio, everyone. And because I can't see him doing that. Well, yeah, I was going to say, um, uh, I was watching Seth Meyers earlier today because they just had their thousandth show. Yes. And they mentioned something about um, they, that they were well, soon, but not very soon, but, you know, before too long, they're going to be back in their, their like, normal setup because the New York is starting to open up. Yeah. And, and I was just like, why? Yeah. Why? You do the show. Pr- I mean, and they said, guests will probably still be remote, but it's like, okay. But but why? I mean, like, keep paying everyone. It's not their fault they can't yeah. work right now. But you're still getting a quality show. Yes. That's being written it, with tremendous burden, extra burden put on uh, the hosts who have to, and everybody has to film themselves. Like, don't get me wrong. I understand that. But, like, why would you endanger people's health? Why would, like, have you seen, <laughs> they just had their first lung transplant for someone because of coronavirus. It was a 20-year-old or 22-year-old. But the coronavirus pictures... doesn't affect young people, so don't worry about it. Yeah, and it's like like they they have pictures of the lung that they replaced. And doctors were chiming in in the tweet response being like, I thought that was a kidney. Like, it's this, this disease is real bad, and it kills a bunch of people, but it also debilitatingly scars organs forever. So why? <laughs> I just I don't I don't understand all 
Because I guess because money? Yes. Um, but I really don't understand for shows like these late night shows that are able to to still successfully make a show under the quarantine conditions. Why would you not until there's some something changes such that we have a cure or a vaccine or a treatment or something like that, you know? Just, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't fucking get it. Um, any other thoughts on this? No, let's go into the, let's go into other things you don't fucking get because there's oh two of them at this point. So, okay. so let's do the angry one first. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Let's do the, let's do the actual angry one as opposed to the bewildered angry one. Um, yeah. right. So where do you want to start with this? Um, okay. Can we start with the character description? Do you have that pulled up? Uh, oh, so you just want to like start at the beginning. Okay, let's yeah. do it. Okay, so on, so obviously Ruby Rose, we talked about previously, is leaving Batwoman. Initially, they said they were going to recast the character. Then, like a week later, some sides got out, and they are casting for the woman they are going, they're going to kill off Batwoman. Not sides, or, like a character description. A character description. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And, just, and the character is named Ryan Wilder. And they're described as mid to late 20s, likable, messy, a little goofy, and untamed. Nothing like Kate Kane, the woman who wore the bat suit before her. Something about, like, she's a, she was a drug runner or yes. drug mule or something. And yeah. she, um, she's not trained, but she's a brawler. And she just as soon, like, steal milk for a kitty and, and help a street cat as anything else. Like, the description is so bad. In every possible way, it doesn't, like, they very successfully built the show of Batwoman around Kate Kane being Batwoman. Every character on that show has a very specific personal connection to Kate Kane. So this idea that they think maybe they can lift out Kate Kane and have a new person just show up and become Batwoman somehow is the most asinine thing I've heard in a, a, a recast situation that I can think of. And there have been lots of shows that have recast characters for some reason or, or killed off characters for some reason. Uh, you know, they dropped a piano on Charlie Sheen on Two and a Half Men, right? Like, there's there's a lot of things that they could do that would be ridiculous or would make sense or not make sense. But this is really dumb. Yeah, so additional layers of all of this is... A, this is really stupid. There's no reason for them to do a whole new character. It's a deeply stupid idea. Layer number two of this is that Batwoman showrunner Caroline Drees, Drys um, said during an, um, the TV film festival that normally happens in Austin during the summer, which yeah. they've been doing remotely this year, um, said that one of the big reasons that they decided to do this um, was to... Avoid the soap opera trope of recasting a character and pretending no one's noticed. A couple things about that. One. Well, also, she made it very clear that initially she wanted to do to to recast, but then then why the, then her, who who was it was it Mark or somebody else on the show yeah. one of the other the, her co showrunner or whatever decided that we should do this instead, and I'm following his very wise lead. So I was like, I'm distancing myself from this choice. Yeah. So first thing is plenty of shows, as you said, recast whole characters, not just soap operas. Like sitcoms do it, dramas do it. It happens. It's just a thing of television. They recast um, Laurel. They recast Sarah on uh, yeah. Legend, on, on Arrow. Yeah. But admittedly, that woman was seen for like 
five seconds. But your point still stands. Um, and that's something Katie Lotz has acknowledged. Um, that they just kind of erased that woman from the show. Anyway, um, so shows do this all the time. But two, and I think this is really important to point out, all the Arrowverse shows, but Batwoman, like its predecessor Arrow, is just a soap opera with capes. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is just mind-boggling to me. Like, on a narrative and character level, it's a soap opera. On a production level, it is nothing like a soap opera. And I'm not, like, attributing production values. I'm just saying on a narrative level, it's a soap. Um, like, all the, all the narrative signifiers of a soap are in Batwoman. <laughs> mm-hmm. So don't say that. It's bad. It's it's very disingenuous. It also implies that like soap opera audiences don't care about that kind of thing when trust me, soap opera audiences definitely have preferences. Um yeah. Well, also, you literally have a show where a character sews new faces on people that you can't tell the difference that no one can tell the difference yeah. of. Like you you already have a re- and and you have a villain who has a very specific reason to go after yes. your lead. So it's written in right there. She they fight and she wins and she knocks her out and she takes her face. Like it's not elegant, but it it actually works in the logic of the show. Yes. So there's all of this stuff and then middle of this week an outlet with very little um sourcing um, I would argue probably no, sir, no sourcing, um, unless it was a trial balloon from the studio, which I would not put it past them, um, that they were going to just kill Kate Kane off screen, basically, um, and use that as a way to motivate this um, writer, uh, Wilder, Ryan, um, to assume the mantle, basically, Um and then uh, Dries um, came out with a Twitter, Twitter statement with, As a lesbian who's been working as a writer for the past 15 years, I'm well aware of the barrier gapes trope and have no interest in participating in it. That's why it's important to me as the showrunner to clarify any misinformation out there about Kate Kane and recasting Batwoman. Like you, I love Kate Kane. She's the reason I wanted to do the show. Mm, we'll never erase <laughs> her. Mm, in fact, her disappearance will be one of the mysteries of season two. I don't want to give away any of our surprises, but to all our devoted fans, please know that the LGBTQ plus justice is at the very core of what Batwoman is, and we have no intention of abandoning that. End of statement. Um, great. Cool. I'm glad you're not going to kill her. Um, at the same time, I have a lot of other questions about that statement, um, as my hmms kind of, like, conveyed. So I took those rumors when they started circulating with a great deal of salt. They get amplified by comic book resources which is notorious for just making mountains out of really poorly attributed molehills. Um, but it got enough traction that people were talking about it. Um, like I said, this could have been a like a trial balloon type of mm-hmm. deal, um, which I don't know why anyone thought that would be a good idea to do in the first place, but whatever. Um, the entire situation is just really weird, and I don't think it makes a lot of sense, and I think it's really stupid. Um, to just not recast Kate. Um, not our Kate. I don't want anyone <laughs> to take Kate Kulzik's place. Kate Kane. Um, so, yeah, it's stupid. And it's it's just really stupid. Um, but 
Yeah. Yeah. These writers I thought were better than that. Because they've shown themselves to be smarter than that with some of the other choices they've made with this show. So it was baffling to me when I saw that first bit of news. So anyways, more on this as it develops. We've got a good long while before we have to, they have to actually like lock anything in. So yes, we'll see. it's true. <sighs> Our last bit of news here as we go head into a half hour. Uh, of news, but there's a lot of news this week. Uh, HBO Go and Now and Max and all of that is hopefully being streamlined into something more straightforward. I say that because I don't understand it, and Noel's going to explain it to me. So, Noel, after if I, I'll keep talking a little longer so you can have some water because you've been do, doing a lot of the the talking about these news items. And thank sure, you. sure, sure. No, it's um, okay. What's going on with HBO? Right. So. As you are aware, and as a number of other people are aware because of the sheer amount of confusion around it, there are three different sort of HBO-branded apps out there and subscription sort of services. There's HBO Max, which is the latest thing that basically has... It's the Warner Media streaming platform. It's got all the HBO content along with additional content from the various uh, Warner Media properties. So that's like Turner Classic Movies, it's Cartoon Network, it's Adult Swim, it's um, the DC Universe movies from the Warner Brothers films, um, it's Crunchyroll for anime. Like there's like a little bit of everything on HBO Max in addition to the HBO content. HBO Go and HBO Now both are just siloed HBO content providers. The weirdness of all of this is that HBO, and I want to make sure I get this right, <laughs> because it's so confusing. Um, HBO Go was the app that if you had HBO through like a cable provider or satellite or some sort of like I don't want to say like established media company, but established media company like Comcast or Charter or whatever. HBO Go was what you watched when you wanted to watch like HBO kind of like on demand, but only HBO. Okay. HBO Now was the standalone subscription service that you could subscribe to if you didn't have cable and wanted HBO but you didn't have cable or you subscribed to it through Hulu or Amazon or whatever. That's how you got HBO now. Okay? Makes sense? No, it doesn't make any sense because it's stupid. Um, <laughs> so today as we announce on, um, today as we talk on Friday, Warner Media announced that HBO now, the, um, the standalone service, that you get when you just subscribe to HBO and that's all you want, you don't have cable or anything else, is just going to become HBO. HBO Go is going to be entirely replaced over the course of this summer by HBO Max. Okay. However, (laughs) HBO Now will continue to exist... While Warner Media continues to work out the HBO Max distribution deals with Roku and Amazon. Okay. So if you have HBO Max, can yes. you watch everything that's on HBO? Yes. Yes. So, and if you have HBO, you can watch everything that's on HBO, but you can't watch the stuff that's that's exclusive to Max. Correct. 
unless you have HBO through like Comcast and it comes bundled with HBO Max. Correct. So you have to act, you have to look up to find out whether your specific cable company that you get HBO through bundles in Max or doesn't, because that's going to vary company to company. Yes. This is way too complicated for absolutely no reason. It is. And it's so fascinating watching Warner Media just completely tarnish and dilute the HBO as like a signifier. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not even talking about HBO, like, as a corporate brand of, like, that place you go for prestige, thought-provoking television, um, because it's H- it's not TV, it's HBO, right? Yeah. But watching them dilute it as a signifier within the span of basically three months has just been really fascinating to watch. And I'm being really specific here. Watch AT&T go... Mm-hmm. Eh, you know what? You know what people really loved about us, AT&T? They really loved us as a cell phone carrier and as a phone carrier with convoluted plans about, can I keep my data? Do my minutes roll over? Let's carry that mentality over to our streaming platform. It's just so bizarre and wild that they can't figure this out. And I understand, like, from, like, a, uh, from, whatchamacallit, their whole thing with Roku and Amazon, um, because there's, like, major, there's major bucks on the line for that. But everything else is just so weird, and I don't understand it, and it's really stupid, and it's just bizarre. And the fact that most people don't know if they have, which HBO they have, is really funny to me. Mm -hmm. Because you, you can't figure it out. Yeah. And they just did a really it's, bad it's job. It's funny and yeah. very relatable. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that they just couldn't... The, and part of this is also like Time Warner's issue before the merger with HBO Now and HBO Go being really hard to figure out what the difference was between the two of them. Um, because like there's just not enough signifiers there to tell you which one's which. Um, so... It's all stupid. It's all very, very messy. But Warner Media has just made it very, very difficult um, to figure out which one you have. It's it's not it's not HBO. It's AT and T. Excellent. Well done. That's a, that's a good good stinger there. Very Thanks. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is going to wrap it up for our news today. And now we're going to uh, talk about TV shows. Maybe gonna, we are going to talk about TV <laughs> as well. Um, we're going to try not to go much longer than normal but we'll see we'll see how it goes um so let's take a break listen to some music and we'll be right back with our week in tv
this week in TV, we're going to kick things off with a special from the Oprah Winfrey Network, um, I, I believe hosted by Oprah, Where Do We Go From Here, Part 1 and 2. Then we'll move over to comedy with Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, Policing, and uh, then I'll talk about the last OG finale, uh, Warning. And then we'll talk about the What We Do in the Shadows finale, Theater of the Vampires, Teatro de Vampire. Something like that. Uh, then we'll go to reality with RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 5, the the season premiere, All-Stars Variety Extravaganza, and then we'll move over to genre to wrap things out with Stargirl, Wildcat, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Alien Commies from the Future! Like Very that. good. That was excellent. Thank you. So first up is Where Do We Go From Here? And I did not get a chance to watch this. Um, I've, I've seen some of the other specials that, that Oprah has hosted on Oprah Winfrey Network. Um, specifically the one that they did um, with some of the survivors of assault uh, and abuse by Michael Jackson and some and some other um, things in that vein. Um, this is specifically around um, police brutality and responding to the, the protest movements around the country um, that have been showing up less and less on the news, but are still happening every single day. You can find them on Twitter. I don't know why more people aren't covering them elsewhere. But um, anyways, what did you think of this? Should I seek it out? So this was a two-part special, um, like you said. So it's two hours. Um, It was aired on OWN, naturally. Um, But it was also aired across um, Discovery, um, 18 other channels. So it was like on the Travel Channel. It was on the Cooking Channel. It was on the Food Network. Um, It was... All across Discovery's other 18 other networks, uh, channels, I should say, and it did, because they also own OWN. And when you own OWN and Oprah says that they're going to do this, you you let Oprah do things. Um, just, just listen to Oprah. <laughs> it's a good yeah, just listen to Oprah. Um, so what this is is basically a Zoom call call. <laughs> Between Oprah and then a number of um, thought leaders, uh, black thought leaders, um, and um, very prominent black thought leaders. So Stacey Abrams is there, um, Charles M. Blow, uh, the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, Eva DuVernay, naturally, um, uh, the professor and author um, Jennifer Eberhardt, um, Nicole Hannah-Jones from the New York Times, Ibram Kendi, who wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist, which is a very popular book right now. Um, David O'Elio um, is was there as well, along with uh, Rashad Robinson and uh, Dr. William J. Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II are all there to have a conversation about literally what do we do from here, basically. Um, and I think that the conversation between everyone is a little... It's very much calling for a number of things that you can see called for from the protests, Um, which is creates kind of a weird sort of dissonance that there's not any like there are very few like kind of professional activists here um, or any folks from that movement um, here um, in the group. So it's a lot of like respected Respected politicians, respected journalists, and that kind of a thing. Um, Rashad Robinson's probably the closest that they come to this um, sort of thing, along with Nicole Hannah-Jones, obviously. And this isn't to discount the activism that each of these people that are on the panel actively do, but they it they provide an air of legitimacy to the talking points that I think is sort of the point. 
to the whole project, as opposed to separating out them out from the protests and echoing a lot of those sentiments in a way that legitimizes them, which I think is important for certain people. But for those that really care about that, it's not necessary. So in a very weird way, um, it feels very much like how the Oprah Winfrey show used to function when they did this sort of thing of like, this is something that's been circulating within the confines of our community. We're going to bring it forward to a whole different audience. Um, And I think the protests have done that on their own. The degree to which people listen is up in the air, Um, which I think is part of why, not part, is almost certainly why it aired across 19, whatchamacallit, 19 channels that otherwise don't engage in this kind of content. Um, so I think it's good and I think it's important that it aired, but I also think for like you or me, um, or anyone else that has sort of been actively engaged in at the very least the discourse, there's nothing new here. And particularly from some of the more like the politicians, there's definitely nothing new from like their standard talking points that they have otherwise engaged in elsewhere. So I think it's important for folks who maybe haven't been following the conversations around the protests that this is a good way to check in um, and get sort of a very calm, air quotes calm, discussion um, that feels that is separated from like the whole stigma of a protest Mm -hmm. that some people may have. So it's good for that. But if you're someone who's aware of these conversations already, it's not going to offer you anything, I think, particularly new. Um, there are some good conversations that kind of peek out around the corner. David Oelio makes a very good point about, well, yes, no, all of this is really important, and I'm very glad it's happening. But also, can we talk about indigenous people with the with the United States? Which is something that is starting to percolate a little further to the top of things. But I really appreciated Oelio um, bringing bringing that up because it was something that wasn't being mentioned, really. Mm -hmm. And he brings that up really kind of aggressively. um, And I really appreciated that. So there's little bits of things that I think are really good. But overall, um, if you wanted a little bit of a a two-hour crash course in this sort of thing, this is a good thing for that. Otherwise, it's fine. Um, Otherwise, if you've been following things, maybe go seek out the 13th. Go seek out some of the other documentaries that have been uh, frequently recommended on a different reading list and viewing list. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they do show some, like, of the more popular clips of protests and people talking um, as sort of, like, discussion jumping off points. But then it very quickly gets folded into this calm discussion sort of deal. Um, and the politics of and that, I think, are... listeners, he was doing the air quotes on that. Yeah. Um, I do think that, like, the politics of that are weird. Um, and I don't want to get into the, too deep into that. Too, I don't want to get deep into that at all, because we have a lot more to discuss. But it's definitely something to think about while you're watching this, okay. if you're going to watch it. Okay. Um, over on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, they did their devoted their full, full episode to policing in America. And it was a little extra long. It was, like, 30 five-ish 33 35 something like that um and i thought it was an excellent episode 
Uh, and this is another, I mean, especially if you're a fan of the show, I would imagine you've already seen it. If not, um, if you want a half hour catch up on what's going on, it's very yes. good. Um, if you are trying to convey to someone who isn't following what's going on and isn't necessarily open to hearing you talk about it, there's some funny stuff in here, along mm-hmm. with lots of not funny stuff. So maybe this is a thing you can get people to watch that they normally wouldn't. Um, I thought it was really well done and very poignantly, powerfully ended, not with Oliver himself, but with a video from an activist um, who really is very, is very powerful. It's a very well, uh, well deployed. And of course, uh, like by the show, well, it was, they, I'm sure they saw this clip and they're like, well, we're not going to say anything better than this we should end with this because this is, this is what it's about. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I recommend very highly go seek out the most recent last week tonight. Yeah. If my whole discussion of where do we go from here didn't really click. John Oliver is a much shorter version <laughs> of a good bit of this. Um, so I co-sign everything Kate just said um, in terms of the content of this week's John Oliver and this week's Samantha B also does mm-hmm. some of this as well, uh, p- pretty well. Um, so another thing to, um, watch as well. Yeah. Over on the last OG, they had their season three finale warning and we're talking about this one right after John, uh, John Oliver, because, um, in, you know, I know you're behind on the season, Noel, but <laughs> by behind, she means I have not watched the second of everyone. <laughs> um, they introduced a new love interest for, for Trey and, uh, and her ex is a cop. Oh, great. And her ex warns him to, to break up with, mm-hmm. with, with his woman. And, um, so there are some threads here. Um, yeah. and, the that only has have I enjoyed the season, but I particularly enjoyed these last two episodes because it's the last two episodes that really get into this new relationship. Um, I, I think it's very interesting for where the show wants to go next and the 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 thread that they end the season on. The they'll just I mean, and I was watching this episode and then I like was skipping ahead through the commercials. I almost missed the last scene. If you do not see the very last like. 10 second right before the credits you know sometimes you do like a little tag at the end like with one joke it's yeah. that kind of length of time if you miss that last like 10 second um 15 second thing for the show you miss something huge so go back and seek it out and watch it um they are headed somewhere very interesting and challenging next season and uh i can't wait to see it and we'll see what these writers are going to have to say. Um, yeah, we'll see. That's where I'm going to leave it. I don't okay. know what because I, I don't want to spoil it for you. I, which so, I appreciate. Thank you. Yeah, but uh, th- but there's a lot of really nice stuff uh, this season around trade with his mom. His mom's got uh, a new a new man in her life played by JB Smoove, who's terrific, uh, and Trey does not respond well. To that necessarily, there's some some good standalones with Shay and with the kids and um, and and with Josh and yeah, there's there's I think a good mix of things. Um, the season in general wasn't standing out to me like this the best parts of season one and season two, uh, but then they kind of shut me up at the end of the season. It's incredibly timely and more on that when you've seen it. Let's go over to what we do in the shadows and their season finale, Tatra de Vampire. Um, 
we've been looking for more with Gizmo, and we got it. What did you think? My last name is Della Cruz. We didn't need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. No, this episode was just really delightful. Um. Like, I kept waiting for, like, the amateur vampire hunters to, like, have a payoff. Um, and they didn't. And instead, the payoff was their final appearance, basically, of, like, that whole house that Guillermo took down single-handedly. Um, and that that was a part of the larger instigating incident for this episode of the Vampire Council. Inviting our lovable buffoons from the Staten Island house to... The, the the theater event of every five years within the United States for vampires, only for it to be a trap. Um, it's just really silly. It's really good. Um, I appreciated the very prolonged theatrical reenactments of everything, of like a recap in case you forgot. Um, while... It's just really ridiculous. And the, the whole, we have to reset the swing blade thing. So it'll be just a moment, everyone. It's just like, I just, I love this show so much. And I'm so sad it's done for this season. But I'm very glad that we're getting a season three. Albeit without Jermaine Clement in the writer's room. Yeah, which is disappointing. But, yeah. you know, understandable. Yeah. What did you think about this finale? Oh, it was so fun. Yeah. And it was it was a good payoff to everything that we've had so far. This season has mostly been standalones, but um, they've done a good job with some of the arcing, um, specifically with Laszlo and Guillermo. Um, and I was waiting for things to kick back up, but I actually am glad that they waited so long so they could just... It's not a linear growth. It is an exponential uh, escalation and it really works very well um it's super fun and i have no idea what they're gonna do next but i and i'm glad that they have some time off to think about it Mm -hmm. but um yeah i'm excited to see what it's gonna be because like the action set pieces like because it's not just oh i keep accidentally killing vampires it's no i'm an unstoppable force of vampire killing them yes and uh yeah, it's terrific. <laughs> yeah, no, and I appreciate the fact that we get just enough of that fight scene to have all of that come across, and then the camera folks just, like, fall over and lose it and then have to restart the camera, and there's just vampire corpses everywhere, um, which is really perfect as, like, a bookend to, like, the visual gags that we got in the house of all the the drained humans scattered throughout the house because Guillermo has not been there to dispose of these bodies. And now they're tripping over bodies and slipping in piles of pools of blood. And poor Colin Robinson is like, I'll just say I got in an accident on the bus. And it's just like, what is happening on the buses in Staten Island? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. The, um, the, the, I guess there's a, It'd be difficult, but I, I can do it. It's like, yeah, no, I had to go to get pick up my laundry, but I don't want to make it, you know, seem too easy. Uh, the, the the timing on that was just right. It was super fun. You so, don't want um, to be the person that informs the three of them about dry cleaners. And then you're always the one that's going to have to go. And, like, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah. It's very good. It's very good. And also that he wants not one of their bedrooms, but a different basement bedroom i know i loved that gag it was just really yeah. funny like does he want He's the elvis one? Elvises. yeah yeah right. <laughs> it's good stuff 
Um, I, it was nice to see uh, Jermaine back for for this. Right, which wasn't supposed to happen, apparently. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, they couldn't get anyone um, in time for them to shoot, and he was already in Toronto. So mm-hmm. they just put him in the costume. Uh, but they were trying to get another actor who had played a vampire at some point, just like they had done with the trial last season, but they couldn't get anyone. So mm-hmm. um, it was just like, oh, well, I can do this real fast. That's a good That's a good payoff. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, it is. It's a good backup plan. Um, any other thoughts on this season besides that people should check it out because it's really funny? It's so funny. Um, like, apart from, like, the witch episode, I really legitimately feel like and even the witch episode was funny. Um, this entire season just was not wall to wall, really, really good and really, really funny. Um, so hopefully you're still trapped in your house, in which case you should watch what we do in the shadows. And you can kind of dive in with season two, but you should watch season one as yeah, well. Season one is season one is good. Yeah. Season one is solid. Season two is better, but I think um, you could just dive in with season two, but. It's worth the journey, I think, yes, to do season one. It is. Um, yeah. This is definitely going to be top 20 contender oh, yeah. for me. Easy. Hands down. Yeah. It's really good. So I'm looking forward to um, Yeah. Looking forward to revisiting some of these uh, as I convince and coax my family to watch it. Um, next up, we have RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 5 with their season premiere, All-Stars Variety Extravaganza. And for me, we can do this one either. We can take forever to talk about it or we can do it really quick. Okay. And sure. The talent show is underwhelming and fine, uh, but not good enough for what I was hoping. Because this is, I'm really excited about this batch of queens. There's a bunch of queens I think are really, really good. And then the talent show was like, fine. Um, and there was no runway. But I, it didn't really matter because the twists to the format are so smart. Yes. And and so good. And that lip sync was so amazing. Uh, welcome back, Evie Oddly, Lip Sync Assassin, indeed. That uh, I don't really care. <laughs> right. Just the just being able to enjoy the smart production choices around this season and that lip sync makes up for a really underwhelming talent show for me. I completely agree with you. Like the thing that I walked away with from this episode, um, in particular, because like half the cast is from season three. Um, which I've never seen. <laughs> well, three of the queens are from season three, yeah. and three of the queens are from season ten. Yeah, but but I have yeah. seen season ten, so I know I know season ten. Um, mm-hmm. I have not watched season three. Um, but and then like a, n- a number of these queens, I just kind of go, I've heard your name, I think, but I don't know who you are, and I apologize. Um, so <laughs> like I'll, I appreciate introductions, and I think most of the a handful of the introduction looks look really really good um but yeah the talent show is fine like it's fine um jujubee was robbed but it's fine um but <laughs> no wait are you familiar with jujubee or not really not really no um okay because jujubee's amazing yeah yeah and I, I get that immediately from all of this <laughs> um from this episode that comes through real clear um, for me, like, it's, like, it's Shay, um, Shay and Jujubees to win. Um, Miss Cracker's uh-huh. just gonna have to accept cons- consolation prize again. Um, which is sad, because I do like Miss Cracker a lot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just fine. It's, like, just fine. But all the little, like, moving parts of the, everyone gets to vote. 
but your vote doesn't matter unless the assassin wins. And it just, like, the way it shifts, it shakes up, like, the social game, I think is, like, the best part about it. Um, and just the whole sort of dyn- dynamics of that, I think, are really exciting. And it also sort of, like, provides a more exciting thing than Rue going, like, you bitches decide. I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> because it... it, it provides another layer of distance from Rue to the decision, which I think is really, really good for just the show. Um, but I really liked it. Um, and I thought it was really clever and really smart. And I, the other thing about it that I think is also really, really clever and really, really smart is rolling over the, mm-hmm. the lip sync winning into the next week. And it's just like, oh man, it just changes all of it. Um, so which, listeners, yeah. there's a $10,000 cash tip uh, for whoever wins the lip sync. And this season, instead of it being the top two compete, it's, the, it's whoever w- wins the challenge versus whoever wins the challenge versus a lip sync assassin that they bring in from a previous season of either All Stars or, or the regular show, of course. Um, and so if I had assumed, I think we all had assumed that if the lip sync assassin wins, they get the money. But no, they must be getting a separate appearance fee. Yes. Uh, unrelated. And so instead, that 10000 cash tip rolls over. So next week, so in episode two, it's going to be the $20,000 cash prize. And if the assassin wins again, it'll be a $30,000 cash prize. And that is going to really shake the dynamics. It is also going to mean that while you're watching the lip sync, the queens are going to be ready for the assassin. <laughs> yes. and But at the same time, like one of the things I really like about this is that provided that the winning queen has to weigh either winning a lot of money or not revealing who they voted for to eliminate. And the, like, the push and tug of that, because otherwise you have to be the person that eliminated someone. And, like, I'm, they don't have to give away who they voted for, Correct. Like oh, but that that's the other thing, right? That's the in other un, thing. In un, like, in untucked, yeah. you see who everyone voted for. Oh, delicious. Um, I wish I wish Amazon attached untucked to their episodes. It'd be nice if they did. And then <laughs> what that tells you, and, and the queens also seem to be aware of that. Um, so that what that means is that they know that they can't pretend to just have voted for whoever got eliminated because there's video because they were, they record them all doing it and it's part of untucked. At least it wasn't the first episode. And in the first episode, cause you didn't see untucked, everyone voted for Derek except for, uh, obviously Derek. Right. And, um, and, uh, Jujubee voted for mayhem, but everybody else voted for Derek. Okay. So yeah, I don't remember if they showed, the winner. I don't remember if they showed India's thing in the montage, but they definitely showed all the other contestants who are safe. So that tells me even if the, like, I th- we'll find, you know, like, we'll find out the first time that the, the winner wins, you know, and that episode's untucked, then we'll find out. But I, I'm curious to see whether they're going to sh- reveal that if it, it doesn't come up, you know, like if the lip sync assassin loses, then do we just not find out? Yeah. No. So I think that there's a number of, like, it feels very convoluted, but at the same time, it's actually pretty straightforward once you, like, sit down for a second. Um, mm-hmm. So I really appreciated that and everything else, um, that this just adds a really delicious layer to things that I'm very excited to watch going forward. You've told me not to get excited about this week's um, 
assassin. Um, so I'm not. I'm. I'm lowering my expectations. Oh, I'm very excited about the assassin. I'm not. Don't. I. I, I love the assassin, uh-huh. but don't get too excited about the lip sync. Yeah. And I blame the editors, listeners. We'll talk about that next time. Yeah. Um. So overall, like, kind of a flat premiere. Um. I was glad that Derek got eliminated. Um. In part because they bombed the challenge real hard. Mm-hmm. Um. But also additionally that. Um. I just. I don't have, I don't understand the Derek and it's India beef. Um, and I was just like, I, I, I don't know. And I don't care. Um, please let this be over. Oh, it's over. Excellent. Um, I do feel a little bad for Derek. Um, just because I, Derek really wanted to do something different, but Derek's really good at doing Brittany, but this show's really bad at letting you do one thing really well. Um, in which case, why would you put Derek through this? <laughs> well, it's just like, I don't understand why Derek comes back and says he wants to show that he's more than Britney. Then does a Britney entrance look, does a Britney, um, talent show look like put on a different wig. Yeah. And like, I think like, um, I think like, was it Tom Lorenzo that did like, they didn't like Derek didn't have anything that wasn't Britney adjacent. Um, so well, they choose what they bring. Right, exactly. That's the thing is so like pack something different. Yeah, pack something borrow different. Borrow a wig. Yeah, I just like even and cuz even just the the and then Derek says, "Well, I feel like I could wear any of these outfits and it would still be Britney." It's like, "Yeah, if you paint to Britney, then yeah, it can be." Or And Derek may only be able to paint to Britney those the thing. Like that's what Derek does is Britney. Well, then that's fine. Then embrace the Britney right. and don't come on the show talking about how you're going to show that you're not just Britney. A friend of the show, Alison Shoemaker, feels strongly that uh, he should have just gone out there, or sorry, Derek should have gone out there and just done an amazing Britney in one. Yes. No, and I think that's right. Um, I think Derek's whole approach to this was just miscalculated from the get-go. Um, but at the same time, if all Derek does is Britney... Michelle is going to destroy her for the rest of the season, provided they had made anything. So it was just going to be like, there was no winning um, with Derek being on here. Don't go on All-Stars. I don't have a lot of, um, I don't don't have a lot of sympathy. Sure. And that's fair. I don't have like a lot of sympathy. I just think your approach to this was miscalculated on a number of levels. And well, or it's like a door when a door came on for All-Stars and then did one, one critique session was like, no, this is not, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have taken someone's spot in the competition, but I'm not doing this. I'm not, no. <laughs> I love you all. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye. <laughs> Anyways. um, Okay, so who are you most excited about, least excited about, and who do you not really know? Shay, I think, is definitely here to, like, just completely own everything. Um, And I'm very excited about Shay being here. Um, I love... I really enjoy Cracker, Ms. Cracker on the show. Um, so I'm excited about the two of them. I'm excited about um, Jujubee Fresh. Like, I really didn't have any context. Um, I'm excited to see if Blair, how much Blair has grown um, in terms of what their drag looks like. Um, because I think that their initial appearance look, uh, their introduction look, is really good. Um, it's very simple, but it's done really, really well. And I really like that from them. And it's very much a grown-up version of what they were doing when they were first on the show. Um, I'm familiar with Alexis Mateo in terms of just 
Alexis Mateo. Um, so mm-hmm. I liked a lot of what they were doing. Um, I don't know Mariah at all, I think. Um, and I did not know India. Um, and by extension, Derek. Um, I don't remember Miss Mayhem at all. Um, yeah, you don't remember. You I did, that and I don't remember them. Um, oh, wow. So, like, it's a problem um, that I should probably just do a refresher. And obviously, I don't know Angina because I did not watch the very first season of this show. Um, when they showed clips from that season, my partner and I were both just like, when was this show filmed? what happened (laughs) the the season one filter um so but i'm excited about angina even though like their talent show was just delightful at the start and then just stopped being a thing um but their introductory look was really really good um so i'm Mm -hmm. really curious to see as as like one of the non-entities their introductory look really excited me so i'm non-entities in my brain um, I'm really excited to see what they do going forward. Um, but also, God, God damn, Ricky Morton's just really good on this show. Um, he was delightful. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah, that's sort of where I am. Um, so I'm obviously rooting for the people I know or are familiar with, but I also really like B's whole deal. So that's where I am. Um, how are you feeling sort of about who, where people are? So here's what, I've, here's what I'm thinking. This is going to be Jujube and Shay who like that's for as far as I'm concerned it's all going to be down to Jujubee and Shay um and with Miss Cracker in contention as well yeah. I would expect um and I'm very here for it I like a lot of the queens I pretty much don't dislike any of the queens and I think a lot of the queens are, are you know I look forward to seeing if they can do it you know like how much they've grown like you were saying about Blair for Mayhem because Mayhem is another one of these queens, like in the most recent season, Britta, who was very popular and well respected in the in drag circles, um, and who one of these people that um, fans have been saying forever, "Oh, you got to get Mayhem." Oh, you think I hope they cast Mayhem, and then she came on and was basically a non-entity in in her season. She won the first challenge and then just fizzled. Well, now I feel okay for not remembering them. <laughs> Yeah, because the, 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 the glove look, right? With they had to make it out of trash or whatever, and she had like that black look. Oh, on the I vaguely remember that. Yes, that was a good look. Anyway, yeah. go on. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and the idea being like that they came in with all these expectations and this, these pressures that they put them on on themselves about about finally after like trying for years and years to get on, getting on, and then we're paralyzed by it, right? Similar to what Miss Cracker said about being in in her head too much, and so like. Will it be? Will they be able to this time around have a clearer eye on what they need to do and execute, or will they fall into the same patterns? So there are a number of queens that are kind of like that. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, just for a second, the reading challenge obviously should have gone to just to yes. Um Blair did great and all, but yeah. like, come on, <laughs> respect to the queen of the library, and that is most definitely Jujube. Jujube also has never lost a lip sync, um, so. Uh, and she's lip synced three or four times and she's won every time. So, um, this season, like this change to the rules theoretically is good for GGB, but we'll see. Um, 
the thing I would recommend is if you are curious about Jujubee, go on to YouTube, do a quick search and watch the library from her, from she was, cause she was on all stars one and on the other one. Cause she just slays the library every yeah. time. <laughs> she probably has the best read in the history of the show, which involves a barbecue. Um, and I won't, that's all I'll say. So, uh, I'm very excited uh, for these queens. Hopefully they deliver. And yes, I'm, I'm ho- I wanted to be more impressed with the talent show and with this next episode than I am. So I'm hoping that they amp things up. Don't disappoint me, All-Stars. Especially coming off of season 12, which was so strong. So um, we'll see. Let's move on to Stargirl and Wildcat. I have like three things sure, to say about this. Uh, Wildcats, whose name I don't remember, uh, family is terrible. Yolanda's family. Not, not Yolanda's family. Yeah. Not the brother, Alex. Alex seems cool, but their family is terrible. And, um, I don't like, they're going to just need to, I understand that they're terrible so that she has a reason to be Wildcat. Like I get it, but I don't really, but I don't get it at the same time in this day and age, you know? Also, um, she, I mean, I guess she doesn't know for plot reasons, that the mean girl at school is the one who leaked her her photo. I mean, obviously, it seems very obvious to me. Um, and then the third thing is uh, the my eyes. Oh, my poor eyes and my soul were damaged by that fake violin playing. It's so bad. Elson warned us, and I wasn't. I still wasn't ready. Do you love that the principal's name is uh, Bowen? Yeah. And so so obviously they're connected to the fiddler um which is a villain who play, who charms and mesmerizes people with a violin who I think is supposed to be from India and if they uh if they were really cool they would have the fiddler play carnatic violin um which is a totally different like position and musical tradition and style that is fascinating and gorgeous and beautiful uh but no instead they did this and is was mad. any of it and right? Like even like the close-ups? No, no nothing. Is, is well, we didn't really get. Well, there it, were like, close-ups on like, like um just... the top of. Well, I'm saying the top near like the left yeah. hand yeah. fingers. Yeah. It so it was all bad. Was, okay. Because yeah, I mean, I would have to rewatch okay. it to to tell you if they cut to a close-up of someone who knows what they're doing and. I'm not going to do that to myself. I already, a little birdie told me that th- there's more violin playing next episode. So I'm girding my loins for that. Um, that's what I, that's my takeaway so far. Besides the fact that I'm just generally having fun with Star Yeah. Yeah. And I think fun is like the key thing about the show um, is that it's just, it's really fun. Like Courtney's just so sweet <laughs> and <laughs> eager <laughs> Yes. Um, that I really appreciate it. Um, that it just provides a really good vibe for the rest of the show. Um, so to go through your three things, and I'll start at the last one of, I just, knowing, having been teased about this from a friend of the show, Allison Shoemaker, I was waiting for this, and then I just watched it and went, even to like my partner, I went, yeah, none of that looks right even to me. Kate's going to lose her shit. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so yeah, um, yeah, no, it's, it's bad. And it's a very weird scene because there's no context for, for it, which mm-hmm. it, also handles, 
handles for cases don't go on the top of the case. They go on the side of the case because that's how you, that's how you carry mm-hmm. them. You don't you don't I'm, listeners at home. I I am picking up my violin <gasps> case right now so I can show it. To listeners, Noel. she's so angry. <laughs> see, if as you can see, Noel, the handle doesn't go here because then you're gonna carry it sideways. Like ha- it goes here. Ooh, so you can carry it next to you and have it be take up less space and be less of a uh, awkward thing that you will try to maneuver through spaces and will bump into stuff. Oh god, hurts. I don't think they specially made a case. I think they found a weird case and we're like, "Ooh, yeah. let's use that." But just just everything. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. So bad. So getting into the other stuff, um, this is a really, I think, solid introduction for Yolanda as Wildcat. Um, I like, yes, her family is absolutely terrible, um, and it's just deeply, 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 deeply bad um, how terrible they are. But again, narrative reasons for all of this, including the fact that she's unaware of the fact that um, um, Cindy, who's the mean girl, um is behind the leak. Um, even though also it's, it is slightly unclear to me if she, if Henry shared the photos, in which case this is also very much his fault. Um, I'm guessing that she like borrowed his phone and then forwarded them to her herself and then deleted mm -hmm. them. It's a fair Um, read. I think either way, not great. Um, so yeah. Um, where was I going with some of this? Um, but so, yeah. So I think the like having to like build that up in a way um, works because again, like you said, you need a reason for her to want to do this um, apart from the fact that she needs to do this for narrative reasons of we need a team to mm-hmm. fight this other team. Um, so yeah, but I, I like the suit. I like how like they do sort of like a, old school Adam West Batman climb up the wall type thing. Um, and just the silliness of like interrogating these powers um, from the staff having all the personality of the magic carpet from Aladdin to just the fact of we're teens. It's cool that we get to do all this stuff. Isn't it though? And I, I just like, all, I like that whole vibe of the show. So I think it's good, but I also think that the show's doing a nice job of, Making sure that the threat feels real enough, like that iSchool's just offing people and their their mm-hmm. offsprings and their entire family. Um so that things steadily escalate, um, even if they don't even if they're not directly confronting our heroes. Um so I think introducing Dragon King like that, oh man, creepy creepy eyes, Kate, creepy creepy eyes. Um, so I think, I think it's off to a pretty good start. Um, and I'm enjoying the show. I'm very excited for, um, our sweet nerd who has dinner with her parents and whose parents just want her to have a friend becomes Dr. Midnight because that's what's going to happen. I'm very excited about it because she's going to be so excited. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be cute. I'm expecting that to be the next episode. So it should be fun. Um, okay, any final thoughts on that? Or if not, S.H.I.E.L.D. Alien commies from the future! I mean, I feel like there's only one thing to discuss about this, and that's Enver. <laughs> I feel like yeah. there's two things. 
The other thing is they're all terrible friends because they don't try to even look for Enoch. Second thing is, yeah. is Enver. They obviously. are terrible friends to Enoch, but I think there's also just generally an understanding that Enoch can take care of himself. Um, which okay. I think is fair. Like, I think that's legitimately fair. Um, but you could look. Yeah. But like I, like I said last week, like they don't know how long they have, um, in that, in that time period. So, but yes. I'm just saying, type up an, have Daisy type up an algorithm that does a scan of local paper. I you know, it's, at least show them trying. Anyways, you're saying. But we get all the good Enver stuff, but we also get Gemma posing as Peggy. Yeah, that did not work no, for me. It, was, it doesn't work for me either in terms of just like the Peggy of it all. But some weird GI station in the middle of nowhere is going to be like, oh, sorry, ma'am. It's a lady with a British accent. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that was great. And I love the scene of um, I love the scene of Sousa and, and Gemma. Uh, that was delightful and super fun. But just I like I feel like. I was expecting them to do a better job with her pretending to be Peggy than they did because she did nothing. No, she just needs to be there and be British. And that's really all that matters for this because no one Mm -hmm. knows Peggy Carter, which is hence Sousa showing up and being like, I know Peggy Carter and you, ma'am, you're no Peggy Carter. Um, (laughs) And so it's just really fun. And he's just so delightful and charismatic. It's kind of disgusting um but he's very good in this episode but this episode is also just a lot of fun um which i think is the other really good thing about it from them interrogating that random dude whose whole connection to this plot i don't remember but his insistence that they're commies like all of them um is just delightful but honestly kate aside from enver being here my favorite thing is how they try to figure out who the chromacon is <laughs> yeah, I like the uh the the, the thing from yes. Blade Runner. They actually just straight go for it, which is great. And of course Colson is the one who does it. Yeah, it's great. But also like the whole um um oh who like Gary Cooper or um John Wayne and the guy says, Oh, I forget who it is. Van, Van Johnson. Johnson and Colson is just flummoxed by this decision. Um but it's also like the most human decision. um so the entire thing i think is just really really great um down to the fact that they didn't think about what an emp would do to colson (laughs) um so yeah i'm i'm just very much enjoying the silliness of this season um and the fact that they're not even trying to be anywhere near the degrees of seriousness that they've sort of been like dabbling in a little bit um, in this last bit of the run, aside from whatever is going on with May, and I'm very worried about May. I'm very worried about May. Mm-hmm. Because I'm worried about May, I'm also not yes. worried about May. <laughs> because if it was going to be an issue, then I would expect it to hit later in the season. So I'm expecting this to hit now and then and escalate and then it to be okay for the back half of the season. But we'll see. What when's your weekend TV? Um. Yeah, no, it's the what we do in the shadows finale. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I've also been watching a lot of Community Kate, and I just watched the conspiracy theory episode, and guess what? That episode's still really good. <laughs> um, but no, what we do in the shadows wins my uh, week in TV this week. What about you? Uh, I'll give it to last week tonight for this week. But uh, yeah, 
It was a very strong What We Did in the Shadows finale. Super fun. So lots of fun TV this week. Now we're going to take a break and listen to a trailer for Hensified Season 1. And we'll be right back to break down the first season. Cinco dollars for un burrito? We've been giving you free burritos for years. Yo cante por esos tacos. Nobody asked you to sing. You ain't chanted, bro. We need a new approach. I'll give you a brand new list of ingredients that we can try out. And it's going to be great. People love discovering new things. New We've been here, fool. You haven't been rent in two months. You doubled the rent on us, you coconut salad. Coconuts are delicious. One of those pinches greedy landlords que nos quieren convertir todos en ramen spot. Stay woke. Why you gotta go all the way to Paris to be a chef? I want to back Michelin stars and boil Heinz. Estamos preocupados por Chris. Chris is going to be fine. He can afford help, like therapy or Whole Foods. Can you take Whole Foods? Yo estoy aquí matándome mientras tú juegas al artista. God, you're so dramatic. Te empaqué todas tus porquerías, mijita. What would I ever do without my 50 rosaries? Para que te saques al diablo, cabrona. My daughter? She's beautiful. She's brilliant. Marry her, pendejo. Play like a team. You know, como las chivas. The defense communicates with the offense and then... ¿Se me entiende, no? I think so. Te pasas toda la vida construyendo un negocio. We're not going to save the shop with a burrito. We're going to save it with some changes. This is chicken tikka masala taco. I'm more Mexican than all y'all. Don't forget to leave a review. And if you don't like the food, don't tell anybody, cabrón. We know people. Dangerous people. I don't feel safe. This is our neighborhood. This is about Pop trying to survive. Yeah, but at our expense. We can't all be Cesar Chavez, but we're doing our best. <laughs> There's nothing gentrifiers hate more than being called gentrifiers. We're tapping into their biggest fear. Brown lesbians? White guilt. Uh... Let's see what our new friends have to say on Yelp. Food five stars, ambiance one. Dile esos pendejos cara de culo. Aquí está su ambiente. That was the season one trailer for Hentified, for, uh, which is on Netflix, a Netflix um, half-hour comedy, drama. Dramedy. Dramedy show. Half-hour show. Yeah. <laughs> it's got 10 episodes in its first season, and it follows a family of, well, just all sorts of different things. But it's centered around a taco shop, a family taco shop um, in L.A. And Boyle Heights, yeah. In Boyle Heights. And um, so you've got Pops, who runs the taco shop, and then his two grandsons, who are nephews, Eric and Chris, and then their cousin, Anna, who's an artist, who's around the shop, but also then we follow her and what she's doing. Uh, Chris is a in training and wants to go to culinary school to study with Michelin star chefs and really go into the world of fine dining. Um, there's beef between Chris and, and Eric, lots of, uh, lots of issues around identity and, um, pops is a, a illegal immigrant, um, from Mexico. And so there's lots of issues around Mexican identity, American identity. Um, many times Chris is called a coconut by his family and by his coworkers because he grew up it's, I think, in Utah, right? His, his dad um... moved away. It's Utah or Colorado. I forget quite which, but it's it's somewhere in like the Rockies. Yeah. Yeah. The dad moved away to make a bunch of money and yes. and Chris has come back 
comparatively recently. So there's some, there's some tension there. There's class stuff, there's race stuff, um, uh, racial tension as well. Just Chris wanting to be viewed as who he self identifies as and who the other people, he's still like trying to pick up more Spanish. Um, so, so there's just some other, other issues going around, um, with this family, but mostly, I mean, it's just a, it's just a show about a family trying to, to make ends meet and really, um, dealing with the gentrification of their neighborhoods. And it's really good. I really liked it. What did you think? It is very, very good. Um, I feel like this kind of flew under the radar. This uh, dropped on Netflix in late February um, when back when we were all so young and innocent and just yeah. obsessed with what the Democratic primary field was looking like before the end times. <laughs> um, but... So yeah, I feel like like I didn't see a lot about this. Vulture did a big um, profile piece about the two creators um, of the show, uh, Marvin uh, Lemus and Linda Yvette uh, Chavez, who basically had pitched the show to like everywhere and couldn't get it picked up. Um, FX, I think, was really, really keen on it. And then the deal fell apart for some reason. Um, and so, yeah, so th- I just didn't see a lot about this in like my Twitter feed. Um, but that feels like a mistake. This is a very overlooked little discussed show, I feel like, um, Mm -hmm. because it's, it's easily some of the, like the best, most thoughtful, interesting, um, discussion about gentrification, but also just like rooting it in something that's both really funny and feels really lived in. Um, so I really, really liked it and I think it's very good and I think people should watch it. Yeah. 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 There's plenty of, I mean, there, I mean, there's, there's plenty to dig into on a character mm-hmm. basis and on a um, emotional basis and a thematic basis. Um, but if you're looking for TV that speaks to some of what's happening right now, there's an episode, uh, Brown Love specifically, of, or no, sorry, there's an episode, The Mural specifically about ownership of buildings. So who owns the building, the, yeah. the, the walls of the building? Is it the woman who has her shop? there or is it the landlord who has come in and bought a bunch of properties around this area and wants to beautify everything and is that like you know these characters are trying to help they want to be part of the solution and we watch them you know they're they're trying to make ends meet at the taco shop they're trying to you know Anna's trying to become paid just get paid for her art and and build up her profile so that she can you know actually contribute to her family's finances her mom worked in a sweatshop for a really shitty boss she's got a younger sister just Um, the worst boss just awful just terrible (laughs) and and so like it's so an episode like the murals dealing with art and commerce when is it selling out you know it's also very easy to call people sellouts if you aren't worrying about where your next meal is going to come from, um, there's just a lot that they're dealing with. And it, again, like many of my favorite shows, it is just a very human show. It's really interested in the motivations and the uh, thought processes that are motivating all of its characters along with these larger outside forces. Yeah. And I think like one of the things um, I think that Hentify does really well is a lot of this feels a lot of like the larger narrative stuff feels like very broad stroke type stuff um, with like um, we have um, who is it? Hang on. Let me find his name in here. 
Oh, it's not on the Wikipedia page. Well, that's annoying. One of the guys from Bones, one of the lab techs from Bones, <laughs> um, as like a the guy who wants to beautify the um, whatchamacallit, the neighborhood a little bit, um, who's just painted in these very broad strokes. You've got a really kind of Gordon Ramsay-esque chef who's also painted in very broad strokes, but all these broad strokes end up like drilling down in really good ways to tell really specific stories about gentrification, about uh, racism and internalized racism. Um, And then how all of that gets bundled up with wanting to survive Mm -hmm. um, and what that looks like. And so I think that the, the ways in which that the show is able to do those kind of broad strokes sort of narratives and then find ways to nuance them in really productive ways, I think is probably like the most successful thing about it. In addition to the fact that the cast is just crackerjack um, loaded uh, with really good talent. Um, So I, yeah, it's just, it's really good. I don't know like where to start even on some of this (laughs) because it's just, it just kind of sneaks up on you and then it starts getting like a little more experimental. Um, particularly when we go to Anna's mom's, uh, Beatrice, uh, with some of the, like the introduction in women's work, uh, which is just, I, I just kind of sat back for a moment cause I was like, the show hasn't done this yet. <laughs> um, where, where did this kind of weird sort of experimental thing come from? And then I was just like, I don't care because it's very good. Um, so yeah, where do you feel like we should start with this? Cause I'm not entirely sure. Um, just because it's really good and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the actor from Bones is TJ Thine? Tyne? I'm not Tyne. sure. Yes. TJ Tyne. Yeah. That's yeah. who that is. Thank you. He's very good. As soon as good. you said TJ, I was like, yes, that is the guy. Yeah. He's very good in this very characterized, but too real at the same time, yeah. uh, character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's start with our, let's start with our main three. Okay. Which, I mean, Pops is obviously a huge part of this, but let's start with um, Eric and Chris and Anna. And, I mean, the tension between between uh, Eric and Chris is really at the core. Um, I, th- I feel like if you had, if I had to pick a main character, I guess I'd say Pop or Chris. But it, it feels very, it's very much an ensemble. Um, yes. How did you how did you feel about like the the depiction of this family? Did they feel like family? Because I, I I kept waiting for some information that was going to fill in the the like the breakdown between Eric and Chris, and and then it didn't come. And I and I think actually that was the right call because I don't think that there was an instigating incident for their difficulties. Um, I think it was just like over time and just all these assumptions about the other person and a complete and utter lack of communication. <laughs> like it's very frustrating. Um, but I thought it was, it felt really organic. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's, you're absolutely right. I don't think that there's an inciting incident for what happened between Eric and Chris. I very firmly believe in exactly what you say is like, they just drifted apart and like both emotionally, but also, geographically literally drifted apart 
Um, and I think that that just accounts for so much like change from life experience as well, like provides different sorts of understandings. And Eric just runs into that over and over and over again in this. And while he's able to sort of use it to the shop's advantage near the end with that just wonderful counter-programming video <laughs> that they do um, for the food tour, um, at the same time, it feeds into this entire concept of how are we surviving and how is Eric surviving? So I think that all of all of that, by not providing any sort of like big blow-up type of reason for why Eric and Chris are kind of at each other's throats for much of this in a very family geared way, not like in like a bad way, just in a way that again, feels really authentic. Um, that that's how that works. I feel like um, it's like, there's no inciting incident. I think that just makes a world of difference in terms of both how they relate to each other and also how they're able to sort of semi-reconcile with one another as well by the end. Like, it's not a full-on reconciliation by any stretch (laughs) of the imagination. But there's at least an understanding of sorts of, like, they're they're finally talking to one another and bouncing off business ideas. Uh, Eric's whole approach of, like, making the place kind of artisanal and... acceptably vintage Mm -hmm. and Chris's whole, but what if we just do book it with tacos? Um, Well, the other way, Chris wanting to make it and and Eric wanting to do. Yes. yes. Sorry. Um, Which is just, yes, sorry. I swapped them. I apologize. Um, And so it's just like, first of all, book it with tacos is a much better idea. (laughs) That sounds Um, amazing, by the way. (laughs) Yes. No, it's so good. I would have been Um, all over that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's no sword fight. You watched the movie. (laughs) Um, Also, where did you get the movie? Mm -hmm. Um, So like all of this stuff I think is really, really good. Um, And I, I just... It just feels baked in and it feels really, really good. And I, I just really liked it a lot in terms of how that relationship develops and how their sort of visions for what the shop is then gets fed into what Anna's visions for what her art is and what she feels like she can contribute also are in relation then to her um, her relationship with Yesica. Mm-hmm. Um, who's a local activist in the community and that conflict then like the ways in which everything kind of neatly overlaps never feels forced. Mm-hmm. And I really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Those, those threads just, they just go all the way through. And yeah. They do. I mean, it, I, I, it was so well constructed that I wasn't even sitting back to appreciate the construction, you know, while it was happening. Yes. So that when you when you get the the episode that's most about um Jessica and um and Anna's relationship, it doesn't feel like well, okay, oh it makes sense because we had that set up in the previous it just it just flows really nicely um through. Um yeah, the their their love story is just so sweet. And it is, and which is what makes it so heartbreaking at the end. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. There's t- there's also tension. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, um, I mean, and 
in a sort of rose quartz kind of way, uh, Mama Fina lingers over everything and then yes. comes back in very powerfully um, at the end. I kept waiting for the show. Like it kept subverting my expectations because I kept waiting for like someone to offer insane amount of money for the Mama Fina painting. And it's like, and to have such a literal selling out moment, you know, yes. uh, of, is she going to take it? And t- in my defense, like developer white dude, bro, like his license plate literally is like, are you for sale? Like literally that is his license plate. So like, there are some less than subtle moments on yeah. the show. But in general, it really does, you know, it just does feel baked in. We don't have, we have moments of um, tension and conflict d- dissipated by time and distance. And then like a, hey, maybe you should come work at the shop, you know, the next morning, you know, as opposed to an emotional catharsis moment where, where, where everybody, you know, hugs and feels better and, processes there like it just it feels more real than, than yeah. that yeah yeah there's no there's a there's a really like i feel like cognizant push against a pat resolution for a lot of this even down to um sort of like the spotlight episodes that we get uh so like the grapevine which focuses on one of the regulars to uh the mama fina taco shop who is in a mariachi band um doesn't end on a great note. There's no good resolution in terms of this man who very much wants to um, continue, um, Javier, who wants to continue his, um, whatchamacallit, continue his career as a mariachi without selling out. But then they mm-hmm. have to do, um, oh, what's the song? Um, in Your Eyes? Um, something like that. I don't, I recognize it, but didn't remember what it was. They're talking about, oh, should we do some Cardi B and some Beyonce? And because, yeah. like, they're playing this lovely music, like classic yeah. mariachi music, and nobody's paying attention. They start doing a cover, and then everybody, then all of the cash pours in, which, yes. I mean, I get what they're doing. And that does, that can absolutely happen. But also, like, I think a lot of those people still would not <laughs> fork over any money for the actual musicians in the room, um, even no matter, regardless of what music they played. But, um, yeah. <laughs> But the point, as a musician, I was like, mm, okay. Right. <laughs> but the point remains, and it's an excellent point. Well, well executed. The song is really great. Their cover sounds fabulous. Their cover is great. Yeah. Um, so I think like all of that, and then the fact of like he needs to find a new house, and then like he goes to the right place to do that and to get assistance for that. But then it's like it will take many months to do this mm-hmm. because this is how the bureaucracy of this works, and just he can't reconcile like the immediacy of things and they end up homeless. And I f- the way that the show again, eschews a tidy resolution to this and instead allows that thread to be there for you to sit with, I think is really, really important um, mm-hmm. because narratively it allows something to come back provided they get us provided that they would have gotten a season two, which they have, they got renewed um, this um, like a couple weeks ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but also just the the realism of this is what this is now. This is camping. Mm -hmm. Um, and no, it's not, you're, you're, you're homeless. (laughs) Um, and like building on top of that, I think is just really, really provides them with so many different layers of this is how the community is 
surviving and not surviving. Yeah. So providing those peeks into other to the other characters um, that pop in and out of the shop, I think works really, really well. Um, and then juxtaposing that against something like Lydia's career arc, um, again, works. Oh, hi, Grayson. Um, I, I, it just, everything is so seamlessly done that I kind of can't get over it. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, there's a big theme here as well as, uh, of pride. That runs through the season and mm-hmm. what it means to have pride and what kinds of pride the different characters are uh, either need to find in themselves or um, what they are like, like the, like in the Mar- mariachi episode, for example, it's, it's yes, it's his, uh, I, uh, his, his music and his art and his style and, a tradition that he's trying to uphold, but it's also because he's, he's proud. He doesn't want to play this music. He wants to be respected for being really good at what he's really good at. Yes. Um, and I think the, I think that the, the show does a really thoughtful job of examining that. Um, and what, and I think they also do a really good job, especially in the first two episodes with Chris of showing the detriment of of swallowing your pride, when to swallow it, when not to, and different characters reacting in different ways to their, like their situation. Like Anna's mom would love to have, love to be able to say, you can't talk to me like that, but she's got to pay rent. And so she swallows a lot from her boss. Um, and so watching, watching the show, I mean, because I, I feel like we've been talking for 20 minutes here and said almost nothing. <laughs> <laughs> At least I feel like I've said almost nothing. It's a really good show. Um, yeah. And and it's, I think there's just a lot of really thoughtful characterization and um, nuance baked in. And an episode like the Mariachi episode, um, The Grapevine. And, and t- saying we only get 10 episodes. One of them we're going to spend over here just left of center with this kid, which is also then, by the way, going to pay off three episodes later <laughs> when, uh, when no character, um, decides to take off for Bakersfield to go visit the kid. <laughs> when, when Nayeli decides, like, I'm going to go visit my not boyfriend, maybe boyfriend who, who only, finally only asked me out <laughs> when he was moving. Um, you know, it's just, it's just really, it's really thoughtful and lovely. And like you say, Lydia's trajectory as well, like, I don't really even understand what she does because like the idea, like this show knows that they don't just like give out jobs at Stanford and UCLA and all these things at the same time. Right. That's not how, that's not how it works. And she said she was going to be the assistant Dean. And then she said she was going to be a professor. It's like, those are not the same thing. (laughs) Those are not Um, the same thing. I missed that uh, slip. That's yeah, well, she was great. saying, like, I can see myself as being a professor, you know, at Stanford. And I was like, but earlier you said you were going to be the assistant dean of admissions. Like, yeah. that's very and I different. Mean, you can get a PhD and teach, but you don't get to teach it. You're unlikely to teach at Stanford um, yeah. transferring like that. Um, a cat, universities are weird like that. Yeah. And um, also being a, getting a dean of, assistant dean of student life job is way cushier <laughs> yeah well there's that to... <laughs> yeah um and, and but so I, I had like there's some little things around the corner i was like huh but um but yeah watching 
you know, the because I'm, you know me, I'm a shipper, so I was rooting yeah. for Lydia and, and Eric. And, mo- like, really more than anything, everybody's team Lydia, right? We're, we're rooting for Eric to get his shit together so that, you know, he can give Lydia a reason um, to 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 re- feel like she can be, he can be an equal partner because she needs an equal partner. Um, like, she will, she will make do and be a good mom i think from what we see no matter what but it would be a hell of a lot better if she didn't have to do everything on her own if she had a partner and eric wants to be the partner but can he be it is the question right um so just watch watching her trajectory through the season and where it leads it's just it's just lovely it's really good i'm repeating myself i'm just being really boring here with my comments everybody go watch hentified um the last thing I, i i will mention um besides just like oh, there's so many sweet, lovely moments. I love Pop and his his date with was it Lupe? Ah, um, uh, yes, yeah. I think that I'm a act- like ninety percent positive her name is Lupe, and that the actual date and then the not date. Yeah, that does he doesn't are- realize it's a date, and then the actual date are just <laughs> absolutely lovely. Um, but uh, the other thing that I wanted to make sure to mention that I really appreciated is I like. So like uh, like we've got the mariachi band right we've got Chris who's a chef who and we've got we've got um, Anna who's an artist and they're all really good I love that the show like has people who are supposed to be really good at their field and then they show them being really good her mural is gorgeous all her all like all of there her was art a, is beautiful yeah and there was a feature somewhere I'll have to dig it up um, about the woman who actually did all the paintings for mm-hmm. this. Um, I saw it, like, in my feed, um, or I got a news card about it on my phone. So I'll have to look for that, because I didn't finish reading it, because it came up, like, halfway through my mm-hmm. viewing. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, one one woman did all the art for it, and it's all really, really gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, too often shows tell you someone's really good, right? And the mariachi yeah. band, they sound great. And yes. they act, and unlike Stargirl, they got someone who can actually play the violin <laughs> to be their violinist. Um, anyways, not that I'm bitter. Um, and, and Chris, I buy him as a chef. Like, yes. when we see him doing his thing, it makes sense. I buy, I, and when we see Pops tweaking his recipe, you're like, ah, that's where this can't, comes from. It's not just, we get a flashback that indicates some of that with Mama Fina as well. Um, but, but it's like, okay. I, be- I believe it. And it's too often, I think, shows that represent or show uh, artists, the life of artists, either don't have the art be good enough, because <laughs> that's really hard to do. Like, like the easiest example is Rent, where the, the great song is bad <laughs> at the end. It's definitely the weakest song of the whole show, that everything's building up to this great, amazing song the person wrote, and then the song doesn't live up to it, right? Um, either that happens... Or they, there's this sense that, well, you're so good, you're gonna have to make it eventually. It's just a matter of if someone can see you. And that's not how art works. <laughs> that's not remotely how art works. Lots of brilliant, brilliant musicians and artists never are discovered, never break through, um, at least in their lifetimes or after are lost to obscurity. And just because Anna's really good, it does not mean she will ever get another showing or sell another painting. And there is, a, I love that they go all in on her being really, really good, but that doesn't mean that she has any sense. There's no sense of security or eventuality to her success. She yeah. could easily end up 
working at the taco shop for forever. Um, right. The last thing I will mention with all this, who's going to take over the taco shop thing. There's one thing I was like yelling at my TV. I'm curious if it was you too, especially as various plot points lead in certain directions towards the end. And that's Norma. Why is no one standing for Norma? Yeah, no, Norma needs to take over that shop um, and just get everyone else in line. Yeah. Um, no, Norma's great. I love Norma. Um, and I kept waiting for like a Norma episode and I'm hoping we get one in season two. Yeah. Um, provided the shop still exists. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I also love that um, Anna, when the question comes up of about the shop, doesn't like in in like yell at the patron to her face or like because that's again you can't do that as an artist yeah it's it's a great way to never work ever again and you yes. won't help the situation um anyways did you have any other final thoughts on the season um no i feel like we covered everything i do want to like highlight um joaquin casillo um he's so good Pop. he's great um he's been like He's only been, he's been working really steadily for the past, like, 20 years now, mostly in uh, Mexican, um, Mexican productions, but he's slowly been working his way into, um, whatchamacallit, um, some English language stuff. So, like, if you and everyone, like everyone else saw Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, he was the voice of the Scorpion. Um, he's, um, he's in Rainbow, uh, Last Blood. He's going to be, he was in The Strain for, like, a, like, 20 episodes. Um, I think after, like, shortly after I started to stop, shortly, he started appearing shortly after I stopped watching The Strain. But he's going to be in the new Suicide Squad that James Gunn's directing. Um, so, but he's really, really, really good here. Um, and he also... Did the dub for Ted in Ted 2. Okay. And I kind of want to watch the Spanish Spanish language version of Ted 2 now to hear him voice Ted. <laughs> because I feel like that would be incredible. Um, so he, I feel like, is something, someone to really keep an eye on um, in terms of, like, him filtering into... Um, uh, English language stuff. But we should also note that this is um, one of America Ferreira's um, executive produced shows as well. Um, and she directed two episodes of this series as well, very early in the run. And also did a quick cameo that was just delightful. Um, so I think that there's a lot of really good stuff circulating in this production, um, both behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And I'm very excited that we're going to get a second season. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for season two as well. And um, uh, let's also shout out JJ Soria and Carlos Santos as Eric and Chris and Carrie Martin as Anna. Um, they're they're really good. They're all really good in this. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the best ensembles. Uh, certainly one of the, my favorite new ensembles um, for yes. a year. So yeah. So everybody go watch Hintified. It's really good, yeah. and it's getting a season two. It's a very easy binge if you want to, or you can space it out too. Um, it's, it's lovely. It's very good. Um, that will wrap up our show for this week. A few show notes. You can find a post for this episode over at the televerse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us the televerse at gmail.com. And you can also find us with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed over in Apple podcasts. We're also on uh, Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And of course we are both on Twitter. I am at the televerse. Noel, you are at Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 